All right, guys, we're here with Tim from, uh, who also does a lot of podcasts, Through the Naysayers. Is that a podcast series, Tim, or um, what do you guys do over there? Yeah, no, it's a podcast, man. I'm up to like 215, 220 episodes or so and, and growing. Wow. It's, uh, yeah, and that's in less than two years, so it's been, it's been pretty cool. Yeah, yeah, because I was looking through your bio. You do a few things, uh, a lot of things <laughs> that we want to uh, talk about, actually. Um, so let's start with uh, a little bit of your background. You're in Nova Scotia right now, right? Yeah. Yeah, it's 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 what? a bit of an interesting backstory, man. I mean, I grew up in Toronto, and you know, you guys got to realize that, and, and gals. I mean, I'm I'm a boomer, so I grew up yeah. in the you know in the '80s. We were just not grew up, but I started my business career in the '80s, and it was, you know, we were just raised to climb that corporate ladder as fast as we possibly could, and it, there were, it didn't matter how nice you. were. In fact, nice was seen as being a weakness. You know, yeah. it was stop and, and get and. Um, so, dude, you know, my late 20s, I mean, I was the poster child for what success was supposed to look like. I had one of the top paying sales jobs in the country. Um, I had company car, unlimited expense account. We were winning awards trips for my wife and I, like in 1987, we got to go to Hong Kong on an all paid expense trip and then over to mainland Chant, China, which in 1987 was pretty rare, these kind of things. But, you know, honestly, I mean, it was coming at such a cost. And, yeah. and I don't, I used to blame the job. I don't anymore at this stage of my life. I realized it just me. I mean, I, I just couldn't handle it, man. I mean, it was like, um, I was still learning how to be a husband and a father yeah. and, and everything else. So I shocked the world because when I was 31, we, I quit. And, and not only did I quit, but my wife is from this little fishing village in rural Nova Scotia, a three hour drive south of Halifax. In those days, it would have been four hours just to mm. drive down here. And, um, and I quit and we moved down here and I started a, an educational software company. Um, and this, you got to keep this in perspective when I say educational software, this was actually, the internet existed, but not the World Wide web. There was yeah. no email. Um, and my cell phone came with this gigantic battery pack that had to be plugged into my, my car, 12 volt battery with an antenna that I often had to hold up on the roof in order to, you know, to talk to somebody. So. There were more than a few people who said that, that I was a little bit loopy. It was 1988. The economy was still in a mess because we'd had Black Monday, which before, you know, just a couple of weeks ago was the sing single biggest drop in the Dow Jones and the TSX in history occurred mm -hmm. in, in, in the October of 1987. And 88, I'm starting a new business in the, <laughs> in the middle of nowhere. And I'm, it's 32 years later and I'm still here. I'm on to my fourth business and, and, um, you know, I mean, I've, I've, I guess one of the reasons I'm trying to do as many of these, these take advantage of many of these opportunities to speak to people as I can is that, you know, I've I lived through Black Monday. I owned a business through 9-11. I owned a business through the dot-com crash and it was a software business. I, you know, I owned a business through the 2008 financial crisis. I had my own sets of problems, like, a, you know, a major, yeah. my key supplier, really the partner would be the best word for it was a $300 million company in the US one time, very profitable company, um, but they got bought out and basically for the purposes of closing them down to eliminate competition. Yeah, so yeah. with no warning, I lost $500,000 worth of purchase orders overnight that I couldn't fulfill. Um, and now we're going through it again. So I know everybody's saying it's unprecedented, it, we've never seen it before. I'm not minimizing what's happening from a health standpoint. I mean, I think every life that is lost to, you know, to, to COVID-19 is tragic. And mm -hmm. I feel for all the families that are being impacted. And I'm not minimizing the people that have lost their jobs or even the businesses that are being harmed or some might even, you know, not make it. But I am here to say that, you know, in terms of the economic challenges, we faced this kind of stuff before. My parents faced two world wars and the Great Depression. People yeah. still can prosper. And... And what I will say is his, if history tells us anything, it's in times like this when the greatest innovations and the, the greatest amount of future wealth is being created. I mean, it's, it's, it's just history just tells us that. It's, it's an undeniable truth. So yeah. long answer about how I ended up in Nova Scotia. but <laughs> No, I appreciate that because, uh, I mean, I think uh, we can mine a lot of information out of that. Um, you know, coming out, starting a business right after an economic crisis, a, a year after Black Monday. Can we talk about that? Like, how was that like? What, what was the environment look like? Well, I think here's the thing. I mean, I wasn't really even conscious of that. 
you know, because, you know, here, I think what's really important for people to realize is, is that, and I can say this after 32 years of entrepreneurship, most of the things we try are actually going to fail. It's just the reality. I mean, and any entrepreneur who's really had any degree of success, I mean, I took my software company to about 10 million, which ended up far exceeding my expectations. But by the time I did that, Bradley, it didn't even remotely resemble the business that I actually started. I mean, I'd pivoted three or four times, and then the last one was a really dramatic shift. I mean, I had started my business helping major corporations and governments um, utilize technology, utilize computers to teach. And I was mm. at the ground, you know, at really at ground zero, if you know, it's a bad analogy these days, but I was at the origin of, of computer-based training is what they called it in those days. Or it actually it was first called computer-assisted instruction. Yeah. And then CBT and, you know, now e-learning and all sorts of other things. But I was trying to help big corporations because that's where my sales background was. And I did okay at that. Um, truthfully, I was making a decent living, but not much more. Like it was as if I'd made myself a job, which in the short term was all I'd originally wanted. I, you know, I used to tell people I want to put a roof over my head, keep food on the table and live in this little fishing village where we don't have to lock our doors at night and raise our kids in the country and, and all that. And that self-limiting belief held me back for a while because that's exactly what I did until I started to, you know, to shoot, shoot higher. But I ended up hitting it by switching and pivoting completely over to the, uh, adult education marketplace and partnering with a, a company that I mentioned. There was a company in the States called Justin's Learning, um, which was um, owned by Simon & Schuster. So I figured they were a pretty stable partner. <laughs> um, and we were, we, we partnered. They had a wonderful adult literacy and numeracy program, which was totally useless in Canada because, it, you know, the mathematics was all an imperial measurement, but there was no metric. And the English instructor, the language instruction, had this hidden agenda of training people to be good Americans. So all of the lessons were about the U.S. Constitution and life in the barrio and all of this kind of stuff, which just culturally just wasn't going to work up here. Yeah. So I had I invested you know money in hiring Canadian educators so we could sort of create a Canadian version of it, and that's the thing that scaled. Um, you know, and since then I've you know I've done all, a, a number of other things, and the most recent being, you know, my Screw the Naysayers podcast. But yeah. Sorry, so you just painted like a really cool picture of like, you know, being in your car on a car phone like plugged into a battery with an antenna out there, right? Yeah. Can you talk a little bit about doing sales in that environment? Like, how, how is that like? like you know, well, were you a mobile you know, traveling salesman? Were you? Yeah, look, I'll tell you, for sure, and even as my business grew, I mean, my single biggest expense was travel. I mean, because I was, my customers weren't in my community, none of them. Um, and, and I got a few originally in the province of Nova Scotia, mostly within about a five hour drive. But yeah. ultimately I had customers from coast to coast and many of them were up in remote uh, communities. Uh, I can remember Moose Factory, Ontario, which is a first nation, which in the, you know, in the summertime, you, you know, you had to take a helicopter in to get to it. Yeah, in the yeah, winter, yeah. you could drive across the ice road type of thing. What it yeah. did is it, it fueled innovation. You know, so for example, in, you know, the, the parent company, not the parent, but my partner in the States, they had these labs all over the United States, but they were all accessible by air. So when, when a client phoned and said, my network, because this was all local area network type stuff, it wasn't over the internet, the network's not working and I got error such and such and they had terrible documentation. Nobody knew what error message 90431 was, except maybe the guys, people who were fixing it. They would put people on planes. They'd say, okay, well, somebody will be there tomorrow. They'd put somebody on a plane and they, they had a whole team of people all over the U U.S. flying around doing this. I'm this little company, which at, in the early days, I was working, still working out of my basement in, yeah. you know, in, in my house. And I had you know, one or two employees. Uh, you know, I took a, a young man who had gone to a local community college and I set him down to get the training. The company down in the States said, he'll never be able to do it. He doesn't have enough mm -hmm. technical education, blah, blah, blah. He came back. And I said, okay, here's the challenge, Yvonne. You know, I'm not flying you from coast to coast to fix all this. How are we going to, what are we going to do when somebody calls from Moose Factory and they have a problem? And, you know, we've, I can't remember the name of the technology, but we were used the very earliest uh, concept of, uh, you know, connecting dial-up modems. Uh, I think PC Anywhere. We were able to take over their server. And I used to buy as part of the deal. It was like a fifty or $100,000 sale. I used to buy them 75 foot long uh, um, telephone cords 
and a modem, a 2400 baud modem. <laughs> if anybody today could even calculate what that is, how slow that is, but I, I'd buy it. I'd say you have to have the ability to plug that modem into one of your phone lines. And sometimes they would phone on one line and say, okay, I'm gonna hang up and I'm gonna connect the modem. So, you know, they'd explain what the problem was. They would disappear yeah. and my guy would go on. But we ended up with one person sitting in a fishing village in Nova Scotia, supporting 115 learning centers with, you know, hundreds and hundreds of computers and stuff like that. One person working about eight hours a day in one place. And they had, I forget, 50 or so full-time employees. I paid twice the amount that, that my guy felt he was being quite fairly paid and he was, you know, for this community and everything else. Full-time white collar work in this community, especially back then, but he was getting a good wage. So it fuels innovation if you don't dwell on it. And, mm. and, and that's what's gonna be happening right now. I mean. It's so hard to see, especially when we're entrepreneurs that are partway into a journey or we had a vision. Um, we, we get, we met, a lot of people make a really big mistake, Ravi, and they'll, they'll focus on sunk costs. They'll start saying, oh man, you know, I've got all this money invested and all this time and now this comes along, blows me right out of the water. I don't even know, what I, you know where I'm at and everything. Well, protect what you've built by all means because your number one goal in times like this is to stay in business. You know, it was David Meltzer, who was, he was a wonderful business mentor, but he was on my show and he just said, basically as entrepreneurs, that is our single, that's our biggest objective in time, at any time, but especially in times like this. Do you what you can to stay in how business. How to keep open, don't, how to stay open, right? Yeah, but don't worry about how much is at stake because that's not at stake today. That, that's already been invested. But, but the thing that you really need to be doing, you know, reflecting on right now is how is the industry that I'm trying to serve changing how is it going to be impacted pardon me by what's going on right now because there is not a sector in the world that is not going to come out of this whenever we come out of this that's not going to come out looking different and there are going to be new pain points pain points that we might have been building a solution to a pain point that won't even exist anymore but that's not necessarily a bad thing if we can figure out what that next pain point is before other people are and come up with that solution. It's like an open playing field because it came so sudden and so unexpected that there really, there are not a lot of people that have been trying to innovate at that level. We've been, we've been, I was talking to a guy named Michael Devilano, who was an amazing guy. He wrote a book called Automate and Grow. And uh, I was on his show just the other day. But, you know, I was talking to him. He's busier now, Ravi, than ever. Because no matter what industry, people are saying, well, gosh, I have to figure out how to drive technology in you know, so I can do things, you know, differently. And I said, you got to stop talking about automate and grow, Michael. You're, you know, you're not talking about growing. You're talking about the next revolution in each of these industries. Yeah. This is where, and, and history tells us, like, I mean, I don't have the exact date. It was Mark Victor Hansen. I, I interviewed the other day. It's not live yet, but he co-authored the Chicken Soup for the Soul books with Jack Canfield, who's also been on my show. But Mark David is a brilliant guy. I mean, and he knows so much about technology. And he was telling me that, that you know, that one of the earliest recessions in the United States was in the 1890s, I think around 1893, 94 type of thing. And within 10 years, Alexander Graham Bell had, had created the telephone. I forget the name of the gentleman, but somebody had created the wires, the tele telegraph wires that could allow those messages to be sent. And Henry Ford, the, he didn't create the automobile, but he came up with this thing called the Model T and the idea of, of assembly line, you know, construction. Three of the biggest you know, inventions and changes in the 20th century came in the first five years of that century, fueled by, by people coming out of a recession. You know, so I'm just like, it doesn't matter what your industry is, what's going to be different, what could be different, and how can we come out that other side energized and ready to take everything we know and apply it. And that's why, honestly, young people that especially have a lot of grasp of technology, because it, that is the thing that Mark Victor Dan, uh, uh, Hansen was talking about. The technology is not stopping. 5G is coming and all the other stuff that's behind it. And, and so if, if people sort of look at the potential of that technology, look at the problems, there are going to be fortunes made by people that are penniless today because, or fearing that their business is you know, really wondering if they're going to get through it. You just got to clear the, the mind clutter and not get, you know, stop listening to the news, stop paying attention, and just focus on how can I serve? How can, what mm. can I grab? What could I do? Um, because I just, 
I don't want to say I'm excited. I'm not excited about the, the virus because it's, it's a horrific thing for the world. Yeah. But I'm excited about the opportunities that are there for people. And especially bright minds that, have, that are yeah. not, the longer we're into this thing, the more we start to get convinced that we have to keep doing things the way we've been doing it. Somebody just hit the reset button. I yeah. think it's the universe, to be honest. I think, mm -hmm. I speculate, and several of my guests, Jack Canfield, agreed, but it feels to me like, you know, some, the universe just said, okay, enough, and hit a yeah. timeout on us. Because, you know, we're destroying our environment. We're acting like it, money is the only thing that counts. We're running around like crazy. We're, you know, we've lost perspective on, 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 on empathy and humanity, and not everybody, but as a society. And, yeah. and really, I think that's what's happened. The universe just said, you guys, you human beings need some time. Whatever your belief, your spiritual belief is, doesn't matter. The universe, God, Allah, whatever, whoever you, but some, some greater being or power said, it's time for everybody to stop, take a big step back, not just a little pause, and figure this stuff out. So we can come back, you know, um, in a way that's sustainable for our planet and that is more inclusive for people with less hatred. I mean, I'm, I'm an idealist, I guess, idealist, but I mean, it feels to me like that's, that, that's what the universe is opening up for us. And yeah. I'm just hoping that people will take those opportunities. No, absolutely. And the cool thing about this is you're resonating and putting the words a lot of what we're hearing about. Because uh, we, uh, at Bloomex, we talk to a lot of entrepreneurs, especially, but also investors and professionals who work with them. And what you're saying is kind of universal. One, the idea of a reset button being pressed on humanity, right? Uh, forcing us to contemplate things that we thought was impossible. Well, what does the world look like without air travel, or without gas being utilized, you know, without going into work, without schools, right? Like we are now forced to live in that reality. And because of that, what was impossible a month ago is now the reality that we have to live with it, right? So the constraints have been taking off. And I think you're absolutely right about being, this being a huge opportunity because uh, from all the companies we've been talking to, you see that companies are falling into two types of buckets, but 80% are falling into the buckets where my business is completely messed up. Everything's up in the air. I don't know where things land. And within that bucket, it might be, I'm going to run out of money and fail. And I got I to gotta liquidate employees and capital or assets. Or two is like, we're just going to hang out and chill and just wait to see what happens. Yep. And then there are 20% of companies that fall into a completely different bucket, which is unexpected growth because their markets are blowing up. Because uh, And a lot of them were not expecting this and now how oh, they were right <laughs> yeah. and it's really interesting talking to these companies because they have so much things going on now it's just like how do we keep up how do we maximize how do we capture market share right they're so yeah. go 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 that while everyone else is like is struggling it's like talking to a different universe people yeah. working within this these industries right so uh, i, I want to talk, talk to you about this like you're obviously talking to a lot of people what's what's blowing up right now what's doing amazing that people can get some hope from yeah, well, I mean, certainly, I mean, I'll just be really, it, it may not seem like the, 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 the biggest application, but podcasting is blowing up. Yeah. Uh, I have, I have never been busier and, and mm. I'm getting outreaches from people that I would very, you know, I'm still early on in the game. I mean, I've had some names like Seth Godin and others on the show. I'm getting there. I've had a lot of Wall Street Journal bestselling authors, but I'm still less than two years and I'm getting people like Jack Canfield and Mark Victor Hansen and Michael Hyatt. And every day I'm getting inquiries from folks that I used to have to chase, sometimes mm -hmm. for a long period of time. They are all sitting at home. All of the people that used to be sitting on, on stages. So I would say to anybody who wants to learn from people, realize that people who's, who used to have 300 days out of the year spent traveling and, and on stages, that they're at home. Yeah. So they're more accessible now than, you know, than ever before. Anybody that's involved in, in, in helping with the automation process and the implementation of technologies is, is, you know, is, is going crazy. There's going to be a revolution in, in, and I mean a revolution, not an evolution, because Jack Canfield, for example, I mean, with Chicken Soup for the Soul, has one of the largest professional development brands in the world. And he said to me on, on my show, he said flat out, he said, we've been dabbling with, you know, converting stuff over to online. We're not dabbling anymore. I'm going to try and get it all over because for once, he, you know, I'm not saying he, he wasn't saying that he doesn't miss the, the human interaction, but he was also saying, you know what, I'm not getting any younger and maybe just sitting in my house a little bit more is, is not a bad thing. I think we're going to see, uh, it's the leaders, it's the people that figure out how to help with that conversion using the newest technology. 
because if everybody just you know tries to go and okay we're all going to go you know i don't want to i won't name platforms but i mean to to you know to create little videos and little courses and make it all look well most things frankly don't work anyway i mean i've been in educational technology for 30 years if you cannot completely remove the accountability and the human element from you know from these things it's the people that figure out the integration of the online delivery with the the human being massive opportunity like off the charts because like mark victor hansen was saying he's he has seen demonstrations of people with 5g technology taking their tele their, their cell phone and the, you know the, a person's avatar you're tr you're delivering training to me i'm looking at my phone and i see your avatar i can now grow that avatar to whatever size i want including real life so like mark six six four i mean it's literally like the holograms that we used to see at all this you know the you know the uh, the sci-fi type movies there it's yeah. right there it's right on the cusp so people that have magnetic magnetic personalities that are really well known that want to stand out what would they pay for somebody that came along and said look man i can help you do that without having to fly around but you'll still you know they'll feel the human connection to you they'll still hear your voice when it's needed you can still answer questions you know but then they can be doing a bunch of stuff on the side they don't have that skill set you know mm. um education is another place that has been ripe for disruption forever we've all known it i've talked about that with so many people seth golden and i went really deep on that one in episode 100 but you know the entire model at both levels uh, you know at the, at the public school system and also at higher ed is completely broken and and they're both being exposed right now but we're going to see i think without any question we're going to see a massive explosion in homeschooling the trend was already there i've talked to so many people even before all this came down that had just given up on the idea of just warehousing their kids in a classroom with 30 other kids where they're all teaching to the lowest common denominator or and it's, i'm not blaming the teachers by the way i have huge respect for teachers they're simply doing what the system is telling them to do you know yeah. but the system so people you know you're going to have all these parents all these parents sitting at home trying to figure out i've got to take ownership here but i'm not a teacher and i don't really another thing that is talked about so often on my show i i probably at least 50 guests have spoken about the, the challenges that parents are having today with like early teen kids trying to figure out how do we prepare our children for jobs that we don't understand they probably don't even mm. exist but even if they do exist we don't know what they are yeah. like we used to know how to prepare our kids we don't and, and basically it was about preparing them to go to college to a four-year college we know that that's probably for most the, the wrong path now <laughs> we don't know how and so people that come along and say hey i can be that virtual support or that virtual support team that's going to come in and and supplement because you're going to get stuff when you do homeschooling you get stuff from the school districts there's stuff you have to cover but wouldn't you love to have certified teachers and or experts in technology that could be doing labs with them on robotics or something interesting so they could learn a skill while also about say collaboration or something while also working on technology and building new skills like it's almost as if in, in instead of something just slowly building there's going to be this 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 massive opportunity for you know for people to fill that gap yeah at the at the at the post-secondary level it's the same thing the gig is up harvard's still charging seventy thousand bucks for students to sit at home and take classes online well if all i'm mm. doing is taking classes online there's every imaginable skill in the world available over the internet right now from some of the best minds in the world. And you might pay mm -hmm. a little something, but you don't pay 70,000 bucks for it. Mm -hmm. They've been selling nothing but connections. We'll give mm -hmm. you a place to get connections and I'll give you a place to, to um, um, and there are exceptions. I'm not saying in certain, like, I mean, I, I, you know, you're in, in Waterloo, I believe. And, and I, like I spent my childhood in Waterloo County. Waterloo University forever has created this, this, this culture and this eco community around it of technology where everybody's benefiting from all that kind of stuff but most of the colleges and universities that are out there just aren't doing it and mm -hmm. so how can parents you know instead of the parent paying 200 grand for their kid to go to college well how could how could they be working with some really smart guys who have kicked or gal women that have had great success how could you people like you help or people that have been on your show help the, these 2021 20, year olds figure out how to capture opportunity and and just go do it for a fraction of the cost, but yeah. still really viable 
so I mean, those are just three that you know that you know that come to mind. But that it really comes down to I think every industry is facing disruption. So it's still back to that you know what if the world didn't have you know oil or we weren't using all these kind of things. Certainly the environment too. Like it's yeah. it's ironic because um, as somebody who's you know at my age of you know a fair bit of my income comes from investment income and so again I won't name the company but there's a company that's really big in renewable energy and. It's a wonderful company. It's going to be just fine. But, I mean, it took a terrible hit in the market because the price of oil went down. And yeah. now they're saying, oh, because oil is cheap. And I'm thinking, well, that is a very short-term reaction, folks, because mm -hmm. it's still not changing the reality that, you know, we've got this problem called pollution. And, and oil is still a finite resource. But things in the environmental sector, too, like the hardest part, too, is to, to realize that, and again, after 32 years, flat out tell you, we I've never, ever not been paid if I put a oh, double negative, no. but I've always been paid when I put in my time and my effort to the best of my ability. But sometimes we don't get paid at the exact time we put the work in. Yes. So depending on what your business is right now, I mean, I get what you're saying about people being chill and, and I'm okay with that, but I'd still be using the time to, to be a little bit more chill. I'd be thinking, I'd be having a million what if conversations and putting the time in rather than just chilling. Because you could put a bunch of time in now. You might not get paid for a while, but you will. You know, you, 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 you know the, it's, just, it's just a crazy time. But it's, um, no, absolutely. If, if we can stay healthy, if we can stay healthy, the economics are going to sort themselves out. And the people with the right ideas and the right solutions will attract money like crazy. Because um, the money's actually still there. It's, it's just, it's just you know, going to be more cautious about where, where, where it goes for a bit, I think. No, absolutely. Um, I mean, talking about like, you know, reaping rewards uh, later on, like, funny enough, when we started with BoomX, like the podcast kind of came separately, but initially the idea was to go after this market, like of um, picking high end work workers, like work, like uh, work and uh, decentralizing it or actually cutting away from, um, cutting away from the firm, like as Dan, uh, Dan Sullivan calls it, right? The denaturing of the firm is happening because it's technology where companies no longer need to hire internally and keep things people internally, put them in like an office space, pay like tens of thousands for the office space and all the training required to keep them and house them, but rather list the type of work they need and put them into a, into a kind of a marketplace. And people just pick and, pick and do it and get paid based off of their ability and their results, right? right? So, the, I mean, working in sales, this is a no brainer, right? Sales is hundred percent, you know, you, you commit the sale, you get commissioned, you get paid, done, right? You see yeah. the transaction. Is exactly. So we were initially thinking about doing this with sales like last year. We went on a bunch of companies and started pitching them, especially SaaS companies. And we we're saying, it's like, hey, you know, for the price you're paying for housing and going and churning through like two, three BDRs at one time, pay us and we can do a whole field because we don't have to house them, we can have them working uh, remotely. We can put uh, external goals for them and you know and scale them up, and essentially find the right salespeople who can who can hit your uh, who can reach your targets. And uh, they were interested, but they're like, I don't trust my salespeople. That's why I have them inside. That's why you know I have them on a leash, it's like because they're salespeople are assholes. They lie to me, right? They they fudge their quota numbers all the time. Um, so they, especially with SaaS technology companies, there's such an untrust they have within their yeah. own sales department that yeah. of outsourcing them seems so, so, uh, so mind-boggling. They're like, yeah, I wouldn't ever do that. Now my phone's ringing off the hook. Yeah, exactly. Right? I've got five, six companies this week reach out saying like, hey, do you guys still do this? Because we have no idea how to handle our salespeople externally anyways. Why don't we just pay you guys to deal with it? Yeah. So... Now this whole service is opening up for us, which is managing salespeople virtually on behalf of companies. That's a, I, I like that idea a whole lot. And I can see yeah. the early resistance because it, you know, but the reality is that's an example of something. Get ready for a lot more of your phone ringing um, yeah. because we're, you know, companies are, companies are, are, are downsizing all over the place. And that's the other thing we know when we, when we go into these downturns, that, you know, that employment uh, is one of the, first, the last things to come back. The markets come back and everything else. It's it's but once they you know they move people out, and we've already look we've already the trends are undeniable anyway. We already know that in the states by now close to fifty percent of the people pre this crash were working in the in the gig economy and and that's such a broad definition it can mean a lot of things. Yeah. Yeah. But what I like about your model is there is accountability. 
because no people aren't going to keep paying you if you're not delivering the results. It's the ultimate accountability. Whereas mm -hmm. with salespeople, oftentimes you are paying them, and by the time you figure out they're not going to give you the results, you've spent a lot of money, you know. Yeah. And, and um, um, yeah, it's just it's but it's innovation. It's you know it's brilliant. But that model could work with so many different out, uh, types of uh, skill sets. Absolutely. Not limited to sales by any stretch. No, absolutely. I mean, I think sales is the last, if anything, last part of a firm that's being outsourced because it's a trust factor, right? Marketing's been outsourced, IT's been outsourced, software, right? Engineering, all parts of business been outsourced except for sales because most companies don't actually trust their salespeople. Yeah. It's such a funny thing. And yet they're the front facing. Yeah, they are. You know what? It's also that, you know, that sales is the lifeblood of the organization. So, you know, what, what you're dealing with there is that, especially if, at least in terms of what I, what I always used to do with your, or be aware of when I was selling my software packages is, is that when people made that commitment to buy from us, it was, um, I won't say their job was on the line, but it might have been. And certainly, you know, their biggest concern was not really how was my product more effective. There were two, comp two of us, the major competitors. Their decision was really rarely based on who's got the absolutely best product. I think I did, but the other guys thought they did, you know. Um, it was based on who can we really trust to make sure that I come out of this looking good. You know, my mantra for my company, you know, from the day I started it was, as soon as I started hiring employees, I said to myself, I got to create some sort of culture. So our goal was to make our customers our heroes. Because we knew that, you see, they were trying to be intermediary. They weren't the ones using the... The, the software, they're making the buying decision. And I wanted them to, you know, look like stars in, you know, in their organization. And that's partly what you're dealing with. When somebody said, you know, goes uh, all the way up the chain and says, we're going to outsource sales. If that doesn't work, your career is over. You know, that's really what you're dealing with, you know? And so if you're dealing with the boss, well, at right at the top, but even then, then he's saying, well, my company's gone if I make a mistake, you know? So it's a, but you see, as you, as you demonstrate results, yeah. Um, in 10 or 15 years, the models that you're describing are going to be routine. I think mm -hmm. for like, well, you know, will people, here's a question for you. Like, will, will all these people that have been working remotely be willing to just go back into the office so the boss can, you know, hold them accountable for when they arrive, how much time they spend on coffee break, did they chat too much around the water cooler, all that, or are they going to say, you know what, I don't need that. I, yeah. I, I can find somewhere else that might be willing to let me do it from here because I'm good. What the, what's going to happen is they're going to lose the, the top performers, yeah. which has always been the case in sales anyway. Let's face it. Yeah. Top performers are the guys like you and I. We just spit out and we said, we're just going to start our own yeah. because we just couldn't find. And it, it really, um, oh, to a certain degree, I mean, certainly in my case, wanting to be my own boss was, a, was an important part of it. But a, a lot of it is about independence. It's about being able to prioritize our time. There's a lot of reasons, you know, yeah. why people that, that leave right now might be quite satisfied if they could if they could work in a distributed environment where they're not held on a leash. Um, we get enough of that in school. And that's why school has got to change because school is just all about compliance. Show up, yes. you know, sit sit down, shut up, behave, and wait for instructions. Yeah. And then when we we wonder why when people graduate from that system and employers hire the people. That the you know the employers say these people don't know how to do anything. Yeah, well, they don't. All they know really all we've ever trained these kids to do, I say kids because at my age anybody's a kid, but is is to follow instructions. Yeah. Show me an employer that wants that out of an employee. Yeah. I mean that's you why know. some of the best salespeople, some of the best employees, some of the best entrepreneurs all did bad in school because <laughs> they failed oh, that course. category. Hey right? guy, two point seven GPA at U of T, rocking it here. You know, I mean it's like. I've yeah. talked to so many people that haven't even gone. There's a guy named JT McCormick. I don't know if you've heard of him. He's an inspiring guy. He's in the States. He grew up the son of a pimp. And I mean a real pimp in Dayton, Ohio. He was sexually abused by his father's prostitutes. His mother was, had grown up an orphan in a state institution and then was on welfare. I mean, he, he, all the reasons in the world not to succeed. JT only graduated high school because he went back and took some slack summer, uh, you know, summer course. So he barely graduated. Today, the guy is the CEO of Scribe Media. It's a publishing company. He can't tell you the difference between an adverb and a verb, but his company in 2018 by a little uh, organization called Entrepreneur Magazine, for his size, mid-sized company, Scribe was voted the best corporate culture in the United States of America with this guy who's figured out leadership. 
You know, when you go to his website and you look at all their pictures of every employee in the company, I mean, so it's not that big. To scroll down and find his name and his picture, you have to scroll through every single employee of the company. He's at the bottom. And he said, it's deliberate because I'm here for them. I serve yeah. them type of thing. Eh? You know, the education, Seth Godin on my show says that, you know, for all the parents that are super proud of their kids bringing home A's, uh, you know, in public, in, in a high school type of thing, that all that is is proof of their, of compliance. That's mm -hmm. his exact words. An A is just proof of, of compliance that you're willing to sit there and do what you're told and, and you have the ability to memorize and regurgitate information. It has zero, it is, as a predictor of success, it has zero value. That's why, again, you know, that, that is a space if there, people are, are interested in it. See, thousands of, you know, up until about the mid-1800s, whenever the Industrial Revolution began, I guess a little before that, we need to remember that in terms of education, the education was largely an apprentice system. Kids, kids learned through play growing up. If yeah. you were, if as a child, it looked and you were a male in those days, because there were, you know, uh, distinctions by, by gender. But if you uh, looked like you'd have prowess as a hunter, you would be playing with little wooden spears and learning how to go and do those things. You were a gatherer and, and then, you know, you would get paired based on your aptitudes and your interests with, with somebody older. And the elders in the community played a huge role in mentoring people and well this is what your role is going to be to help us and, and everybody did that and it only yeah. changed when when the industrial revolution came along and all of a sudden all these these plant manufacturing facilities as, as we would have called them in those days they were pretty you know terrible places but they needed an endless supply of people who would do tedious punctual you know uh, boring tasks over and over and over again that would be punctual and it would listen to instructions and we're still educating our children in 2020 based on on that model i believe that that we're going to go back to people saying much earlier i like i think of my my son he's an electronic uh, you know engineer um electronic engineering technician but he works for the canadian coast guard but you know he was interested in technology and computers by by the time he was in grade five he was helping the you know the teachers at the elementary school set up the networks and stuff like that because they couldn't figure out how to do it he could have hacked everything if he wanted to, but why would, wasn't I able to just take him and just focus his career path that way? Because we knew, and it's where he ended up, but all of the mindless struggles in school and, you know, your kid doesn't pay attention and he doesn't want to sit down and he does, you know, and this and that, and, you know, he got through it, but it's ridiculous. He's yeah. really good at his job. When something's screwed up now and they can't figure out a solution in that office, I mean, he's the person that folks go to and say, how, John, how do we fix this? Yeah. We've lost that. Those people used to be, you know, and, it's, and especially with technology, we're just wasting such genius. People could be producing things at 17, and, and they are, but they could be doing way more. <laughs> Instead, we got them studying Plato or something like that, you know, that, yeah, that yeah. it's not going to be of any meaning. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. Like you, you're, I think you hit a lot of things in the head, like apprenticeships on the way back, mentorship is more value than ever. Um, it's because uh, of all the stuff that you need to, you need to uh, filter through, right? And um, I really like some of the points you're saying about, you know, the Industrial Revolution has, has, has changed us. And we're on the purpose of the fourth Industrial Revolution, right? That's so exactly. again, I think it, the economic forces are changing our institutions again, are forcing yeah. that change. And this is the catalyst. This is really the catalyst. It's a catalyst. That's the right word. It's a catalyst. I mean, it was happening anyway, but it was way too slow. Yeah. This is going to be a catalyst for exponential change. I'm quite convinced. No, absolutely. And uh, I mean, on the show, we talk a lot about uh, the, one of the co-founders of AngelList is um, uh, Naval uh, Ravikant. And he, he talks about this a lot where he's like, technology is ch shifting us culturally backwards in time, right? So the previous industrial revolution took us and put us into these workers and government jobs or these stable corporate jobs, we take 30, 40, 50 years, you come to the institutional environment school where they make you more passive. And you just kind of just like, you become part of a cog in a larger machine and you withdraw salary from it. But now with machine, well, people are becoming more independent again. Just like you're used to be a hunter or a farmer back in the day, like you mentioned, right? Like you're farming your own field, you're growing it, you're responsible for your own production, right? Exactly. And from harvesting from it. And the fruits of your labor, really become uh, what you harvest from. Yeah. Right? And it's the point you made about your business model is, is that people will actually get paid based on the value of what they do. 
you know, and which is what, you know, when we're an employee, we're trading our time for money. Any way you might want to cut it, that's really what we're doing. Now, this has been going on forever, like, you know, but I will tell you that in 1988, when I sort of broke free from that, it was a pretty rare thing. Certainly way more people were starting to do it anyway, but we're going to see an explosion of that. I mean, I would just say to anybody at any age, but certainly people of, you know, 35, 40 and under that have confidence in their ability and that are willing to learn and put the time in. Oh boy, you're living, you you won't, may not see it now, but you're going to look back in 10 or 20 years and say, 2020 was actually the goal, the beginning of the golden years in terms of all the stuff we thought we had to put up with. Being told when to go to work, an hour in a commute every day. Just think of the pollution impact of everybody getting in their car every morning and driving to work or even public transit or whatever. But I mean, you know, if people weren't having to use their vehicles for that kind of, you know, uh, even if you still have them, you know, you'd use them a hell of a lot less. You could situate and you could live in a community closer to where you, whatever you're doing. The other thing I would throw out there that I think people shouldn't lose sight of, I suppose we, th- we always think of these big technological opportunities, but I think there's also going to be massive opportunities locally. I think mm-hmm. what we're going to see is that you touched upon it. I mean, when you talked about it in the old days, you sort of were responsible for everything. And people are going to be looking at, okay, how, if this happens again, and let's face it, it's likely to, how can we be better in control? What could we be doing in our local communities? Maybe we should be looking at these food systems that we've already been Mm. pretty disgusted with anyway for health reasons and everything else and saying, you know what? No, I'm not going to the box store for my fresh produce anymore. We're going to figure out how in communities, you know, to to build our own infrastructure and know what the hell's on it. It won't have, you know, you can build, you can grow anything inside now. You know, urban agricultural is an absolute reality. So why are we going and buying, you know, crops that have been built, you know, picked with slave labor, uh, covered with chemicals, shipped half the way around, picked too early, sent halfway around the world? I mean, that's just one example. But there's going to be, I think, opportunities in, in, in e- different eco-climates, micro-markets, whatever you want to call them. It's time for imagination. And your, your friend was, your partner was so, is so spot on. Like, you know, we, we're breaking free from the changes that started with that industrial revolution. And there's the, the genie's out of the bottle. It's not possible to put that stopper back in. It's just a question mm-hmm. of how fast. And there will be some that are, those that resist that are going to be in for a painful time. Because, the, you know, they're going to think they're hanging in on for stable jobs and they're going to lose their jobs anyway. Those jobs are going to disappear, which is, you know, which is sad. So... Um, My advice, because I hear this on my show a lot, just don't sit back waiting for the hammer to drop. Take control of your own life. You know, you own your career. I own my career at 62. Doesn't matter what our our age is. We own responsibility. And if we delegate that responsibility, then we've surrendered all control. Mm. Yeah. I mean, so like, I think this is the fragility of our time, right? I think People have a lot more time now, which we should touch on earlier on. People have a lot of time. They're trying to connect virtually. And everyone seems to be in like a weird mad dash while also being kind of like laid back and waiting to see what's happening on, right? Trying to figure out what's working and testing out things, trying to keep things still running, but also waiting around to see, you know, how things are shifting, waiting for like the ground to stop shifting under our feet, right? Um, I mean, what would you do if you, ha- if you were in that position where you're starting from ground zero? Um, if I was really starting from ground zero, I would use this time to talk to as many people as I possibly could and to try and find out what's going on, you know, to get yeah. pers- different perspectives from different industries, or if you've narrowed into an area that you're interested in, I'd be talking to as many people as I possibly could to try and get a handle on, on, on where the, the disruption opportunities are going to be. And I might also be trying to, this is a time um, not that I'm touting my gray hair, but this is a time also to reach out to some of the people, uh, especially for younger people, that have been through these kinds of this kind of turmoil before, and to have conversations. You know, to to I had a conversation. The reason I mentioned a bu- bunch about education today, I had a conversation on. A, I did a free panel discussion uh, earlier this week, and a teacher called in, and she was asking, like, you know, what you know, because she wanted to think about. And we all said, well, look, you know, homeschooling. Think about that problem. And, th- and, and But then talk to a bunch of parents that, like, like in that example, I talked to a bunch of parents that currently homeschool. What have you found the hardest? What would it have been nice if somebody had been there to help you, you know, with that type of thing? I mean, probe in, you know, in that way, and then talk to people that have, have built things. 
you know, entrepreneurs that have built, not people, and I'm not belittling the folks that have built these magic one size fits all, you know, all you have to do is, is take this course and set up this sales funnel and, you know, this magic, you know, one session on your defining your problem, one session on, there's a lot of those out there. And hopefully I'm, I'm hopeful that this, this, uh, this downturn is going to wipe most of those people away because they're selling foo-foo dust. doesn't exist. Yeah. Right? People that have built something real, you know, it doesn't have to be a tangible thing. Like you're, you know, if, if you, you're building that service, you've got people now calling you for the, around that model. Talk to entrepreneurs that have t taken an idea, put a, a real solution to a problem together, not teaching somebody else how to start a business, just like exactly like yours, but somebody that solved a real problem for customers and getting paid for it learn from them. Yeah. The other thing is, I, I think, you know, look for opportunities to collaborate. Like, you know, think about the, the, the new, I'm not going to get it right. Michael Davilano was talking about it, but he was talking about, you know, like things like oil, you know, and transportation as being the old pillars of, of our economy. But now we need, we, you know, it's things like technical, you know, technical law, technology, the knowledge on how to use the technology relationships, you know, think about putting teams together that each bring each person brings something different and figuring out and then putting your own minds together and saying, well, you know, cause here you've got a chance to have a lot of virtual conversations with people that might have complementary skill sets and have what if conversations. Yeah. What if we yeah. did this? Could we yeah. do that? If something starts to get you excited so you can't go to sleep at night, pursue it. Mm. That's the, that's the indicator. Yeah, that is the indicator, right? Like what, what you obsess about ends up uh, really driving a lot of uh, innovation, right? Because you're the one who was thinking about it. You're the one who's driving that forward. Absolutely. It also means, it also means, Ravi, like whenever you wake up, in, you, know, in, in, you know, in the middle of the night and you're thinking about an idea, and, and in particular, if you start making a list of reasons why you don't think it'll work, which is what most of us do in our subconscious mind with a mm -hmm. new idea, that is an absolute indicator that you've hit hit on an idea that if you could figure out how to do it, you know, would positively change your life and the lives of others. So I use those, I use that as a North compass. If something wakes me up and or I can't get it the hell out of my head, it keeps coming back and I keep thinking, that's crazy. I talked to, I talked to John Lee Dumas the other day. He's the host of Entrepreneurs on Fire. He's, you know, has a seven day a week podcast. He's been, you know, I have a million downloads a month type of thing. When he started his podcast, he, he, he took a mastermind with that he didn't name the person, but an individual that at the time was the top podcaster in the world. And he said, I took 99% of this person's advice. But the one thing that, that he told me wouldn't work, he said, look, there's no way a seven day a week show will work. You're gonna run out of ideas, people won't listen, you're gonna, you know, you're gonna burn yourself out and all that kind of stuff. And he said, I did it because I knew if, if the top people in this industry said it couldn't be done or that it would fail, that if I could figure out a way to actually do it, that I would win at a big level. So that's the other thing, you know, take, a, take preposterous ideas. And when people say that's stupid, you can't possibly do it. Get three minds together and say, I, it's crazy, isn't it? But let's yeah. think about what we would get if we were able to do that. Yeah, you know, yeah. I, and then reverse engineer it. And usually when we do that, we find that problems are solvable. Almost any problem is solvable if you, well, it really is, if you can figure out the root cause of it. So no, that's what I'd be doing. Talk, talk, talk. Just don't um, just chillax and have a beer on your back deck or, you know, watch Netflix, you know, or whatever. I'm not, I'm not saying you need a little break. That's great. But uh, take at least a certain number of hours a day to really, because it's a blessing. We don't yeah. get these opportunities to say, I'm going to take don't. two hours this afternoon and just brainstorm with a couple of buddies that I have a lot of respect for and just have what if conversations, even in your case, sir, about the future of your business. Gosh, I mean, busy as you are, take an hour every week and get everybody together and just talk about something really random and preposterous, you know, <laughs> preposterous and just say, well, well you know, because that might be your next generation of things, you know, without sort of obviously taking the eye off the ball, it's paying you, yeah. if that makes any sense. No, absolutely. No, I like it. Um, I also wanted to touch upon this uh, new thing you're working on with the film project, I believe. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I can't say too much about it, uh, Ravi, because okay. I'm a cast member. Um, okay. That's why I'm, I'm under a non-disclosure. But there is an or, uh, um, something out there called The Social Movement. I would encourage people to look it up. It is, uh, um, the first series will be released uh, this summer. It's a, it's a reality TV show. But the difference is, is they, they put teams together to solve really 
big problems. Mm. Um, like think problems that on a global level would seem preposterous. Like, you know, the team that I've been assigned to, you know, and I don't have the detail yet, but it's basically how can we solve the, all of the problems with education? You know, I mean, so that's obviously, it's crazy, eh? But, you know, it brings in, they're bringing in people, entrepreneurs and, and people of all different ages from all around the world, and they compete in kind of a team environment. And each team is working on different problems. And then there's, you know, I don't know, like they keep so much of it secretive that I really can't say too much more, because uh, I don't know. But I would encourage, it's easy enough to find if people just do the social movement. Um, and uh, Chris Lavoie is, uh, L-A-V-O-I-E, is the executive producer, and I know he loves to hear from people. I mean, he might be willing, probably could share a lot more, but I'm yeah, yeah. I can't, I can't say much more than that. No, absolutely. I, I used to have observe on your LinkedIn and I'm like, that sounds really cool. Really interesting. Well, it's reality. Really sorry. It's, it's reality TV with a purpose, not mm. some silly, you know, I don't want to say, but I, to me, survivors, I mean, it's not about surviving. It's with a purpose. And the, 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 the teams actually come out with equity in a company. Like the, the idea is for the team to build a company. Oh, wow, and okay. each of the teams to build, create a company and everybody that helped it will come up with a percentage of the company. So if it actually does become something, you do well. But I mean, at a minimum, you've put a lot of ideas out into the universe. And, uh, you know, I think season one, I've seen the, the previews and I, 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 I can't say more, but I, I really encourage people. It's going to be on Amazon Prime and um, I think iTunes as well. But it, there's a really unexpected, uh, you know, result there. So some awesome people participate. Cool. I'm looking forward to it as well, and I'll check it out. Um, yeah, so Tim, this has been great. Uh, I mean, you shared a really big wealth of knowledge, and I like how you compare our situation now to previous episodes that you experienced yourself, you know, uh, especially in terms of growing business and surviving through an economic downturn and seeing the opportunity, the silver lining in the storm clouds, right? Um, I, I think uh, I encourage everyone who's listening here to uh, do the same, to start thinking about that, that uh, we absolutely are, uh, on our end, doing this, which is having as many conversations as possible, people like yourselves, because one, people have more time available, but two, also to find out what's working. You know, what are people working on? What's actually working? What's sticking? And how can we all collaborate together? Um, so Tim, one of the things that we do is uh, all our podcast guests, we actually bring them into a mastermind group, right? We call it a mastermind group, but it's literally just like putting a bunch of smart minds in a, in a, in a, in a room and seeing what happens. Right? right, people make connections and go off and spin their own projects. Perfect, but uh, we're trying to do this uh, at scale and see if you know how how can we bring together multiple minds together and see what comes out of it. Right, I mean you've probably been a part of these kind of circles for a long time, so we'd love to have your thoughts as well. Well, I'm thrilled. Thank you very kindly. It's a brilliant idea. Perfect. Thank you. So we'll sign off here, but uh, Tim, let's keep in contact. I really like uh, like the things you have to say and your wealth of information you have. Um, we'd love to keep talking and sharing ideas. Brilliant. Thanks. Appreciate the Perfect. opportunity. Thank you.